I think that the, the Fed is being forced by, by circumstances, by the data itself, to uh, conclude that uh, they've done enough on the restrictive side. If they're lucky, uh, the economy uh, won't uh, take a dive on it and uh, will continue to grow. On Wealth Track is the tried and true adage, follow the Fed, becoming impossible to follow. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Don't Fight the Fed is a classic piece of investment advice that has been remarkably helpful to investors over the years. As regular WealthTrack viewers know, it's a phrase coined by Martin Zweig, a legendary technical analyst and investor who predicted the 1987 market crash to the day and was the author of the 1970 investment classic, Winning on Wall Street. Zweig wrote, the monetary climate, primarily the trend in interest rates and Federal Reserve policy is the dominant factor in determining the stock market's major direction. On the face of it, it makes sense. When the Fed raises interest rates, making money more expensive, business slows down and stocks become less attractive. Conversely, when the Fed lowers interest rates, borrowing becomes cheaper, business picks up and stocks become more attractive. If only it were that simple. We seem to be in a world where the economy and businesses haven't yet absorbed the full brunt of the Fed's historically aggressive pace of interest rate hikes over the last year, and the market can't seem to make up its mind. This week's guest has been closely following the Fed during his 40-year investment career. He is Ed Yardeni, head of Yardeni Research, a global investment strategy firm he launched in 2007. He is a PhD economist, strategist, and Fed watcher. He has a comprehensive Fed center on his website, which is just about everything you want to know about Fed history, policy, statistics, and research. And he's the author of several books, including Fed Watching for Fun and Profit, a primer for investors, which we discussed at length with him a couple of years ago in an interview available on WealthTrack.com. He writes, to do this job well, I've learned that nothing is more important than to anticipate the actions of the Federal Reserve System's Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, which sets the course for monetary policy in the United States. I asked him what he is anticipating from the Fed now. The Fed uh, has consistently said that they are data dependent. Uh, they, they do a, lo a lot of talking and a lot of speaking as individuals, but uh, once they get together, uh, for their uh, meetings uh, to decide on monetary policy. It is very much dependent on what the uh, economic data is showing and what the overall economic environment is. I think they have to conclude that uh, the economy is uh, slowing. It, uh, they'll probably have a uh, debate on whether it's a soft landing or a hard landing and whether it's uh, still strong enough to allow them to raise interest rates some more. I think they're going to come to the conclusion that it's time for a pause to see how it all plays out. So I don't think they're going to do more than they've done already. And I think the Fed funds rate stays at 5%. I think they're going to try to keep it there for a while, as long as the economy doesn't sink. And I don't expect that it will sink. So I, I, I think we could have a situation where the Fed's done, but we're not going to see rates coming down uh, as rapidly as the, as the uh, uh, fixed income markets seem to believe. The Fed has made it quite clear that it wants to get inflation down to uh, to 2%. That's their target. We're a long way from there. So, uh, you know, does that put that goal in jeopardy if, in fact, that they you think are going to pause interest rates for a while? 
I don't think so because, uh, again, I think they've been trying to find that narrow path that allows them to raise interest rates to bring inflation down without causing a recession. That's been their, their, uh, their goal. And if you look at um, something called the Summary of Economic uh, Projections, the SEP comes out every, uh, every quarter from the FOMC, from the Federal Open Market Committee. And uh, that basically shows what this, their scenario is in their minds that they're trying to achieve and they think they will achieve over the next few years through 2025. And what that shows is that uh, they're shooting for inflation to get down to 2 2.5% by 2025, which I think is a very realist, realistic kind of uh, time frame. And they were showing that they wanted to, to get the Fed funds rate just a little bit above 5%. And, you know, they're, they're basically there. I don't think they have to go any further. Why do you think that's doable? Our economic volatility uh, in recent years has been pandemic-related. I think mm -hmm. there was a... Uh, uh, a big surge in demand for uh, goods, particularly consumer durable goods. Y you know, uh, my family, like everybody else's, was locked down there uh, at home in March and April of 2020. Uh, didn't give us any opportunity to spend money. So we did see people s saving more because they couldn't spend it. Uh, and then, of course, the government started to uh, put uh, lots of money into people's uh, checking accounts. So there's this huge demand for consumer goods that caused, uh, that's really the, was the leading edge of inflation, uh, particularly consumer durable goods. That inflation rate's come down sharply. It's back down to zero, basically. Uh, and even non-durables were saying that food and energy prices, maybe uh, food hasn't come down, but it's not going up. And energy prices have come down now because of uh, OPEC plus decision to cut production. Maybe they'll go up some. But I think on balance, goods inflation is moderating substantially. It's the services side, but the services side tends to be a laggard, particularly in rents. And we know that current market rent inflation has come down rather substantially. So I think it's kind of uh, already uh, baked, uh, uh, you know, it's baked in the economy uh, to uh, see a moderation in, in inflation. The Fed's financial condition, Ed, has changed tremendously. For the, for the first time in its history, number one, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal saying that it's actually losing money. It's, it's uh, running an operating loss of $42 billion since September of 2022. It's got long-term investments that it's getting 2% on, and basically it's got to pay on you know, reserves of 4.6%. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's got a, the same kind of problem that, that other banks do. Right. Are you concerned about the, the financial condition of the Federal Reserve and also its ability to, to finance all of the projects that it's been doing uh, in the economy? Right. I think at this point, they made it clear last summer, and they've been following up on uh, the idea that their balance sheet is too big and that they want to see it uh, uh, reduced. So when securities mature, uh, they don't buy new ones. They just let them roll off. And so they have been actually reducing the size of their balance sheet but they have a long ways to go. But uh, I've uh, observed over the years that I've been doing this that uh, supply and demand for credit don't seem to really drive uh, interest rates. It's more inflation and the perception of what the Fed is going to do about inflation. So indirectly, what happens in the uh, supply and demand for credit obviously has an impact because it can inf influence inflation. Uh, but as we're seeing uh, now, uh, the, uh, the fixed income markets uh, are uh, anticipating that uh, inflation will be coming down and that uh, uh, the Fed's just about done, if not actually done, uh, tightening. And in that scenario, mm -hmm. 
uh, we've seen a, a bond rally, and notwithstanding all the concerns that you rightly express about the uh, amount of uh, debt that has to be financed and the role of the Fed in, in financing that. One of the things that uh, I've uh, observed from a supply-demand perspective is foreigners have actually been huge record buyers of uh, treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities in the United States. So there's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts when you look at uh, uh, all these issues. Central banks around the world have also been buying gold. <laughs> now that tells you something too, right? Well, we've got a geopolitical uh, issue around the world now. Uh, I guess there's always something geopolitical to worry about, but uh, you know, you can't help be, be concerned about the growing uh, uh, Cold War that seems to be heating up between China and the United States. And of course, there's a hot proxy war between the United States and, and Russia now in, in the Ukraine. Let's go back to the fact that for the first time in history, the Fed is losing money. How, number one, what's going on there? Why is that happening? And why isn't that a concern? Or is it a concern for you? No, it's not a concern for me. Um, you know, the, the Fed is the central bank. The, the Fed uh, does uh, print money uh, in, in effect. Uh, they have to pay uh, their, their staff, obviously. Um, and uh, in the past, they actually ran a, a, a surplus because... Yes, they did. They, yeah, they, they owned government securities and they had uh, net unbalanced uh, that, that created income that they then went back and uh, gave to the Treasury. Right. So in, in this situation, uh, they're, they're not giving back to the Treasury. They're, uh, you know, they're just dealing with the income and uh, out, outflow that they're experiencing. But there's no... Nothing, there's not, no limit here that suddenly they're going to uh, run out of money and not be able to uh, pay their bills. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, they do, they do basically create these, uh, the, these assets. Uh, we, we've all seen that the uh, bank's uh, balance sheet has uh, been uh, falling, as we said, because of the maturing tre treasuries. But then suddenly the banking crisis breaks out and uh, they open up a, a banking liquidity facility. And uh, as a result, their balance sheet total assets have actually gone up, notwithstanding the fact that they're still letting uh, bonds uh, mature. So, uh, right, and explain explain that this new lending facility to banks, where they're where they're accepting the bank's treasury holdings, which have because interest rates have been rising, the principal has declined. So the collateral that the banks have, um, they are the treasuries and the Fed are having to make good on, and they're accepting it as if it were you know, as if the treasuries hadn't lost any value at all. So isn't that inflationary? Because, well, look, I, I, look, I don't like, I don't like the, the mess that we're in uh, that the Fed basically created. And explain that. I, I, explain what, why the, the, the mess that the Fed created. What's the mess and what did, how did they create it? The mess is that uh, the Fed, you know, provided an environment of free money for a very long time. Uh, right. they, they, I think, overreacted to the two, 2008 financial crisis and felt that there was, uh, that they had to keep uh, interest rates near zero and pumping in liquidity in order to avoid uh, a depression. And as a result uh, of all that free money, which only got uh, uh, freer and, uh, and, and more of it as a result of the pandemic, uh, a lot of people just assumed rates were gonna stay uh, very low and a lot of bankers assumed they were gonna stay very low. And suddenly the Fed, uh, was confronted with a situation where they completely misjudged inflation. It came back with a vengeance, and suddenly they're scrambling 
to raise uh, interest rates. And the result has been a shock to the banking system. Uh, and so that would have actually been deflationary if they hadn't come in and provided this liquidity facility. So I right. perfectly agree with you that there's, there's concerns that at some point, if they keep doing this, kind of bailing everybody else, everybody out uh, with these emergency procedures, isn't that going to be inflationary? It's, uh, it's a tough, tough call, but I think uh, their initial reaction is correct because I think it could have led to a, a massive uh, bank run. We all know as a result of Silicon Valley Bank that bank runs now uh, can occur in a matter of, of minutes uh, as Absolutely. people use their smartphones. And so it's a whole new world that suddenly the Fed's confronted with. And so they had to jump ahead of that. And I think they succeeded at that. Uh, but as we saw in the great financial crisis, uh, a lot of people thought that it was over and it just kept going and going and going. And I think that's one of the reasons that people are so nervous right now is because it wasn't too long ago that we all lived through a financial crisis and it took a while for it to finally end. And it was very painful in the stock market and uh, for, a lot of, for a lot of people. Jamie Dimon, uh, the ch chairman and CEO of JPMorgan Chase, he said that there would be repercussions uh, to the banking crisis, that he felt that it wasn't necessarily over. Uh, and so, you know, how concerned are you? How concerned do you think the Fed is? Well, that was his uh, letter to, to shareholders. Shareholders, right. And uh, he's in a much better position than I am to assess how the economy is doing. He knows, so, you know, it's the largest bank in America, and he's... Uh, uh, can can assess uh, all the loan demand and uh, and he knows himself what the bank itself is considering in terms of uh, tightening down on uh, on lending standards. So uh, I I take his statement as uh, very uh, very important. But at the same time, um, I think that there was some ambiguity in what he was saying because it could could also imply that he was saying there's there's going to be a lot of uh, regulation that's going to be put on small and, and re regional banks. And I think that's clearly the, the case. It's going to happen. Right. Well, and, but he also said in that letter, which I would highly recommend that everyone read, um, is that, you know, regulation would have not averted the problem that uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank had. Uh, and that, in fact, uh, you know, the, the law of unintended consequences uh, with, with more regulation uh, could be considerable. So he's he's definitely not pro more regulation and doesn't think it would have solved this problem to begin with. Right. But but, but it, he knows that politically that's what's coming. Look, uh, he's been on the pessimistic side for a while. Uh, he was last uh, summer or spring talking about a hurricane is coming and he was predicting that there would be a recession in the second half of this year uh, once consumers ran out of their excess savings. So we'll see how that plays out. I, I don't right. agree with that. I think, I, I think uh, real wages, inflation-adjusted wages, are actually starting to, to increase. Disposable income adjust, inf adjusted for inflation is, is starting to increase. And you put it all together, and I think the consumer still has purchasing power. And I, I think they'll keep the economy growing. And then, as we said before, uh, there's lots of fiscal stimulus in, in the economy from all the programs passed by the Biden administration. And that's going to be stimulative. Housing, we know single family has already been in a recession. It's probably hitting a bottom now. Multifamily still looks pretty good. But on the other hand, we've got commercial real estate. So a, a lot of balls in the air right now. And uh, there's, uh, you know, continues to be a, de a debate about uh, soft or hard landing. It was, it was February of uh, this year that uh, the consensus f flipped around from uh, 
uh, from, from uh, the idea of a hard landing. Uh, and that was a consensus at the beginning of the year. It from was, hard, you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So people thought hard landing. And then by February, they were talking about no landing because the uh, economic data was so strong. And now with the data that we're getting uh, for uh, uh, February and, and, and March, they're coming in, oh, no, no, it is, it is slowing down again. And maybe it's a soft landing again, or maybe it's a hard landing. Got to keep your wits about you here. Uh, things, uh, things are pretty di dynamic. But all in all, I, I've been impressed by the resilience of the economy, and I think it, it will continue to surprise us. I don't want to, to leave the, uh, the issue of the capacity of the Fed and also the Treasury uh, to constantly intervene to prevent crises from uh, basically from exploding. And one of the things that you mentioned uh, that the uh, well that the Fed and the Treasury have done is you know opening this new facility for banks to borrow. Uh, but also we now have this kind of uh, you know kind of blanket insurance for mm -hmm. all bank deposits. Does the Fed still have the capacity? Does the Treasury have the capacity, given our borrowing needs, uh, to 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 really take on that role as well? Well, look, uh, the, the, the Fed has, does not have the power to uh, insure uh, deposits. It's the FDIC, which then gets, gets its authorization from Congress. And so uh, deposits are still insured up to a maximum of 250000 Nothing's changed in that regard. Uh, I, I would say it's, it's a matter of semantics. Instead of the Fed insuring all deposits, it uh, guaranteed the safety and stability of the banks themselves so, so it said, okay, you, you, you may have more deposits than are insured, but uh, we can guarantee you that the, we have just now provided all the liquidity that any bank would possibly need. And all they have to do is uh, bring in their collateral and we'll, use their, we'll price their collateral at par. Uh, so they're being very liberal, very generous with this liquidity facility. But as I said, they have a, an experience since 2008 with kind of whack-a-mole, you know, something terrible pops up and they take a hammer and they come up with a new liquidity facility to kind of make that problem go away. And we've seen in numerous uh, times where it turned out that uh, the liquidity facility didn't have to be used very much at all mm -hmm. because it just it's all a matter of confidence. At the end mm -hmm. of the day, that's the most important th uh, thing we have going for us. And I think to the extent that the Fed has been successful with that facility, then we'll see. It's not over until it's over, right? I mean, th this is an, an ongoing situation. And uh, as I said, I'll be tracking the, uh, the data on the banks on a weekly basis, along with everybody else to see whether deposits are still flowing out. The past uh, couple of weeks that came uh, as a result of the banking crisis, we've seen a, a, a spike up in deposits one week and then it kind of slowed uh, d deposits leaving and then an another week it came, came down and we saw borrowing going up a lot and some of that uh, was at uh, the traditional discount window and some of that was at this banking facility which is uh, allows you to borrow for a year but again they could if, if necessary they'll come up with uh, more provisions to uh, provide that kind of safety net. It's all about confidence Ed. All about, you're, yep. you're right. Perception is nine-tenths of reality I mean, how confident are you in the stability of the U.S. banking system and the global banking system uh, right. after that? Well, I, I think uh, since the 2008 calamity, uh, there has been a lot of regulation and stress testing of the, of the large banks, and I think they're, they're in good shape. I will not be surprised if we see a whole slew of uh, mergers and acquisitions of community banks and regional banks. Uh, you know, we've, we've gone down this road before with the savings and loan associations 
Uh, we had a real crisis in, the, in that sector uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s, and that was very similar. It was a disintermediation problem. Interest rates went up in the money markets, and people said, uh, I don't want to keep my money in an SNL. And some SNL said, no, keep it here. We'll give you a great rate. And then they, they took uh, excessive speculative risk on their loan portfolio, and things blew up. As I said, in 1990, we had uh, a recession that lasted uh, all of eight months, uh, but the economy uh, stayed sort of in a soft landing scenario for, for a while because um, it, it was a body blow to have uh, an important part of the credit system uh, have to be rearranged. And I think the same thing could happen here. I, I started uh, this interview in my introduction to you by uh, mentioning the fact that the adage, don't fight the Fed, has been a really you know, good investment principle to follow for many, many years. Uh, it does don't fight the Fed still work? I think so. Um, you know, um, for most uh, people's investment lives, of, uh, d depending on when they started all this, but uh, a lot of baby boomers for sure, um, I, th I think if we're looking at uh, the Fed's impact on, on investing, it's, uh, it's been critically important to uh, keep on top of what the Fed is uh, doing, what they're thinking, and what they, they, they might do. And uh, there was the concept of the Fed put that was uh, invented by Alan Greenspan back in, uh, in, in the mid-1980s. Uh, and that kind of has been carrying us uh, on for quite some time, where anytime we see the market go down in a big way, the Fed comes in and eases. I mean, we saw that uh, last in the pandemic. Uh, where things were just coming totally unglued. And I think it was on March 23rd that they came in and announced all these liquidity facilities and the market just V-shaped straight up and the economy had a V-shaped recovery. Uh, but now what's uh, changed is because of the impact of the pandemic and because of the excessive combination of fiscal and monetary policies, we've seen inflation make a big comeback and now the Fed had to take the put away and actually go the other way and say, we're just going to keep raising interest rates until inflation comes down. But uh, I think uh, creating the bank liquidity facility, in, in effect, was bringing the Fed put back. They were basically mm -hmm. saying, we're not going to let this thing fall apart. So if, if from an investment point of view, if I were to follow the adage, don't fight the Fed, what should my investment strategy be? Well, with well, benefit of hindsight, uh, you know, certainly last year was uh, d don't fight the Fed's uh, intention to raise interest rates and, and raise them aggressively because they realized they were embarrassed that they were kind of slow to understand that inflation uh, was a peskier than they had anticipated. I think in the current situation, I look at their response to the bank crisis as, as classic lender of last resort activity uh, by the Fed. And when the Fed does that, uh, the uh, economic outlook and the stock market outlook and the bond market outlook uh, improve. I, I, I think that the, the Fed has moved towards, uh, is, is being forced by, by circumstances, by the data itself, to uh, conclude that uh, they've done enough on the restrictive side. If they're lucky, uh, the economy uh, won't uh, take a dive on it and uh, will continue to grow and uh, will allow them to keep the Fed funds rate at 5% until they're satisfied that inflation's well on the way to go, going down to 2.5%. So the don't fight the Fed strategy would be be relatively, be moderately bullish? That yeah, stocks I think so. and bonds should do well? Yep, yeah, I think so. I, th I think that, yeah, that's, that's the way I would look at it. 
one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio in, in this environment of, uh, of, of pretty, uh, you know, it sounds like a relatively positive investment environment. What would your one investment be? Well, I, I like stocks and I like stocks for the long run. I mean, it all depends on individuals, investors, time, time horizon. Uh, but uh, I think last time we, we met, I suggested, suggested the S&P 1500, uh, a, a diversified mix of uh, big cap stocks and uh, middle-sized companies and small companies. Uh, I think America's economy is in great shape. Uh, I think that uh, technology is going to solve the labor shortage problem. I think productivity is going to make a comeback. I will not be surprised if by the end of the decade, uh, we can look back and say, you know what, as bad as it was at the beginning of the decade, it really turned out to be the roaring 2020s because uh, technology solved the problem of labor shortages. Uh, that in turn uh, boosted uh, purchasing power and kept inflation down. Thank you, Ed. I certainly hope you are correct in your assessment. <laughs> so, Ed Yardini, thanks so much for joining us again on WealthTrack. Thank you. At the close of every wealth talk, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is if you want to follow the Fed, read Ed Yardeni's book, Fed Watching for Fun and Profit, a Primer for Investors. As you just gathered, Yardeni knows the history of the Fed, how it works, and how to use its policies to your advantage. He is also a very good and entertaining writer. This book is meant for investors, but you don't have to be a sophisticated one to understand it. Enjoy it and potentially profit from it. Next week on WealthTrack, the author of Sustainable, Terrence Keeley, a former top executive at BlackRock, explains why ESG investing doesn't work and what does. In this week's extra feature, Edyard Denny, a weekly movie and TV reviewer, names his favorite streaming series from the last year. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.